Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whatever time of day it is. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to today's edition of Bible Bites as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. Today, my reading is found, and we are in episode 181, and my reading is found today in Psalm chapter 86 through 89. And so I want to bring out a couple of points, particularly from a couple of these chapters, but I do want to, to um, make you aware of some other things as well, including who authored the various Psalms as we're going through. I'm, I'm enjoying being able to bring that to you as well. <clears throat> and some of the Psalms have a particular history behind them, so we bring that out as well whenever we come to those. <coughs> Excuse me. In Psalm chapter 86 through 89, chapter 86, the author here is listed as David. So this was a prayer that he penned <clears throat> for us to read and how, um, how many times his prayers are just like ours. They're definitely some of the same thoughts and things that we go through. So in verse 5, <clears throat> man, I'm sorry. In verse 5, it says this, For you, Lord, he's crying out to God for his mercies. He's in a difficult place. He's in a place of real need. And he cries out to God. And then he says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. So if you'll remember, every time David uh, gets into any of these problems and he's crying out to God, he always remembers to appeal to God because he's the God of mercy. David knows that this is his God is a God of mercy who listens and who cares and who acts out of his mercy and his great compassion. So here again, David is saying, you Lord are good and you are ready to forgive and you are abundant in mercy to those who are calling upon you. And so he continues lifting his prayer. In verse 7, I noticed how he is confident, <clears throat> even in the days of trouble, he is confident. He says, in the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. He's confident that his God, that the God that we serve, the God that he was calling on, would hear and would answer. I love verse 11 and I think this is a prayer. This is a, another scripture we can adopt as a prayer. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. And I thought about this and I thought this is a, a prayer that we need to adopt as well. That we will learn God's ways. That we will walk in them. And then that we will wholeheartedly heartedly give ourselves over to it and surrender to him with no divisions or distractions in our heart. James 1, 6 through 7 talks about the unstable person, the one that is doubting, the one that's wavering, uh, being an unstable person and, and shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. And then 1 Timothy 4 speaks of, uh, he's giving instruction to young Timothy and he tells him, you know, give ear and give attention to sound doctrine and, and these other things, readings and exhortations of the word of God. Give yourself entirely to them, is what Paul instructs to Timothy. 
So we need to wholeheartedly serve the Lord and give ourselves over to him. Chapter 87. This is listed, the author is listed as the sons of Korah, and it was a song. And it's really speaking about God's city, Jerusalem. And I want you to understand that Jerusalem speaks of, in essence, two Jerusalems. It's a plural uh, form of that word. And so we need to understand there is an earthly Jerusalem in Israel today, and there is a heavenly Jerusalem, Mount Zion, where God sits as well in the heavens. And I believe in verse 5 and 6, that's what he's talking about is the heavenly one. And I believe this also connects with Jesus coming in the New Testament and teaching about being born again and eternal life, receiving eternal life and being born again. When he began talking about that with Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and in plenty of other places, and John's gospel is devoted to that. He said, I've written these things so that you would know Jesus, and in that you will have eternal life. In other words, John's gospel, his whole purpose for writing his gospel was to bring people to a place where they will be born again by the Spirit of God in Jesus Christ and then have eternal life as a result of that. And this is one passage in the Old Testament that has that element of Jesus' teaching of being born again and new eternal life built into it because it says here in verse 5 and 6, And of Zion it will be said, This one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself shall establish her. The Lord will record when he registers the people, this one was born there. And when it talks about in John chapter 3 being born again, it literally means being born from above. Being born from above, from the heavenly Jerusalem, where he records the names. And I have more in my teaching about that, a, a full explanation um, of that and, and of the Old Testament writers that also where the, the concept of being born again in eternal life is hidden. Um, the Old Testament writers, there are at least three, I think there are three or four, that testify to that before we ever get to the New Testament. And all of that is in a teaching that I did in the series, Thy Kingdom Come, where I explain the concept of being born again, how that occurs, and the Lamb's Book of Life, which is, I believe, the, the book that he's talking about here, how the Lord himself will record when he registers the people, this one was born there. And so I've got a, a full teaching uh, on that in that series called Thy Kingdom Come. And I believe it's lesson five or six, if I'm not mistaken. But it is on the Facebook page with the other videos um, and the other teachings that I've been able to do. So you can learn more about that. But I love this because God has hidden it. You know, there's the, the whole of the Bible is like a big old puzzle box with all the little pieces in there and they all fit together. And what they fit together for is the central figure in the word of God, which is Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah. So it's all in here. We just need to understand it and see how it connects together. Psalm chapter 88, the author here is the sons of Korah, but it specifies Heman as the one who perhaps has written this himself. And he was an Ezraite. He was also another worship leader serving at the tabernacle of David. 
along with the sons of Korah and Asaph and Jejuthun and others, and at the temple. These were in David and Solomon's time, and this was also for the chief musician to be a song. I noticed in here that this is a plea to God, even for deliverance from something that could have actually caused their death. Yet the author continues to praise God, to pray to him, and to trust him in spite of his circumstances. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I want to read to you verse 13. But to you I have cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. And I just wanted to point out that that is uh, something that we all need to have a daily discipline, <clears throat> a daily discipline of, and that is prayer. Make prayer a morning. Wake up with God and give him some of the very first of your day. Make, <clears throat> make your mornings come alive with daily prayer time before him. And then <clears throat> in chapter 89, the author here, again, is listed as Ethan, the Ezraite, <coughs> excuse me, who also served at the Tabernacle of David during that same time period. This psalm pretty much recounts the Davidic covenant, the covenant that God made with David, but it also prophetically points to Jesus, the son of David, who's coming to be Messiah king especially you'll find that in verse three i want to read to you verse seven also god is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him beloved this is something that we need to re-adopt the church has lost a good bit of the fear of the Lord and the reverence of God and the honor of his name. And we need to get back to that kind of reverence to God because he is a holy God. He is worthy of worship. He is worthy to be feared, not in the sense that, that we have to fear that he's going to beat us with a stick every moment, but that kind of fear that results in respect and awe recognizing how good he is, how high he is, how holy he is, all of those things that cause us to revere him. Let us pick that back up again. Hallelujah. And then verse 9 is another prophetic word that's fulfilled by Jesus. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Jesus did that on a few different occasions, one of which is found in Matthew chapter 8. Then in verse uh, 14, it talks about how righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. And beloved, I see that in the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and in the salvation of every soul, every person that comes to know Jesus. I can see this verse being, um, being fulfilled in them. Righteousness and justice, the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face there in uh, verse 14 of chapter 89. And welcome as you join in. And I was just thinking about that as I was reading it this morning. You know how mercy and truth together form the the draw for us in a sense you know that that in when we're looking at this in terms of the gospel it's mercy and truth that will draw us to jesus 
but also reveal to us our full condition, our true sinful condition, drawing us to repent of that sin. And then it's because righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne that God the judge then can forgive us, impute his righteousness to us, and be totally just to do it because the, of the foundation being Jesus. The, the foundation that was laid, is Paul calls it Jesus Christ. It's based upon his death and his resurrection. That's the basis of all salvation. It is the, base, the basis of salvation, and it is the basis of the gospel. And the death sentence has already been paid by Jesus. Therefore, God, who sits on that throne, can justly, can justly forgive every person who calls out to him and extend to them that mercy from his throne and be totally just to do it because the death sentence has been paid on our behalf. That's the good news of the gospel. Praise God for that. And I also want to point out, as we begin to draw down to a close today, in Psalm 89, Verses 30 through 35, I want to read this to you because this is very special to me. It says this, he's talking about David here. He's talking about the promise. Remember, this whole chapter primarily is about the Davidic covenant, the covenant that God gave to David. And he says this in verse 30, if his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David." And then he goes on and he talks about his seed and the, the enduring throne that God is giving him and the rest of the promises that God is giving him there. But I want to point out this about verse 30 through 35. This has been very special to me, especially in reference to how to pray for prodigal sons and daughters, because that's kind of what's spoken of here. God is saying in verse 30 and 31 and, and 32 He's like, yeah, if they sin, I'm going to have to deal with that sin. I'm going to go after them. I'm going to discipline them. I'm going to, in love, try to draw them back and bring them to repentance. But even in spite of their sin, God is a faithful God. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 7 that God is faithful and, and just. He is faithful and he is a covenant-keeping God. He will keep covenant and mercy, not only with us, but with our children and our grandchildren after us. And so when there come prodigals along in our family, this is one scripture we can stand on and we can pray for them because God promises he will not, in spite of their prodigal walking and what wasteful living, in spite of turning away and running away from him, God promises he will not utterly take his mercies from them. He will not allow his faithfulness to fail. 
He will not break his covenant with us. He's a covenant-keeping God with us. He will not alter the word he has spoken, and he will not lie to us when he's made covenant promises to us for us and for our generations to come. I call this grace for the prodigals. Five things that God says he will not do in regard to our prodigal sons and daughters. And beloved, that gives us great hope and a great way to pray for them in Jesus' name. And we can believe God's word and we can stand upon God's word in this area. Praise be to the Lord. Hallelujah. So I just pray that verses 30 through 35, that you will take those to heart. If you have any prodigals in yourself or you know of prodigals in, in friends and families' lives and in the church, maybe cousins, whatever they may be, take those five things and speak them back to God and remind God of his word that he has promised. He will not take his mercies from them. He will not allow his faithfulness to fail. He will not break his covenant. He will not alter the word he has spoken, and he will not lie to us. He will fulfill his promises. He'll go after them. Yes, he will. He'll go after them, and he'll deal with their sin in a way to draw them back to him. But he promises he will not utterly fail us in the process. So I pray that that will be an awesome word for you to hang on to in regard to any prodigal children and grandchildren that may be in your life or in someone else's life, in Jesus' name. And then we go on in the rest of the chapter, and he talks about how, basically, how they've fallen away. He recognizes that they've fallen away, and they're ripe for God's judgment. So he's crying out to God for mercy. He recognizes their own sin, but he's also recognizing and crying out for God's mercy. And at the end, he gives blessing to God in spite of their situation again. And he says, blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. And we can say nothing but amen and amen to that as well. May God bless you today. I hope you can join me for future episodes of Bible Bites as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. God bless you today in Jesus' name.